0: This is the Humans of Gaming podcast, an open and honest conversation about games, life, and belief.
1: Welcome to Humans of Gaming. I'm Drew Dixon. I am the chief content nerd at Loveline Nerd, and I'm joined by a special guest today, and that's Gabe Barrett. Hey, Gabe,
0: how are you? Drew, doing excellent, sir. Really appreciate uh, you having me on.
1: Yeah, and so um, you've designed a whole bunch of board games, and then I believe you also help other people design board games. You're, I think, a rare person that um, like has dug, I get the sense has dug pretty deeply into like The process of designing board games in a way that i think is really really cool yeah i don't know how do you how would you describe to people like what you do in 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 game in games and game design and board games
0: yeah it's kind of interesting so people probably know me a lot more because of my podcast and the community i run called the board game design lab they probably know me more from that than my games i've You know, I had several published our own publishing company. You know, I had several successful kickstarters, but I really got going in the gaming industry through the podcast, and I started a show because I was. Struggling as a game designer, trying to figure it out, trying to understand how do you, how do you make a game? How do you yeah. turn time into fun with these components and these dice and these cards and all this stuff? How do so you How do, that? do you
1: make a game? Let's go and, ahead and iron uh, uh, that, that out.
0: Massive question. So I've, <laughs> I've recorded like 240 <laughs> episodes so far of trying to figure that out, um, and so you know I've been able to interview some of the best of the best in the gaming industry—just yeah. amazing uh, designers and publishers and people on the that's inside.
1: Cool. So, like, what's some some examples?
0: Yeah, so Richard Garfield, who designed Magic the Gathering yeah. and King of Tokyo, uh-huh. uh, Matt I've Leacock from uh, <laughs> Pandemic fame, yep. uh, not uh-huh. not the Pandemic, but like the game Pandemic fame. Yes, um, <laughs> he did not design our current yeah, he Pandemic. He designed Pandemic, like, oh, curses, somebody should have talked to him before he released that. Anyway, um, let's see, Elizabeth Hargrave who did Wingspan, which won the Spill the mm-hmm. Jars last year. We had uh, her on this podcast. Yeah, she's excellent. So, yeah, uh, Eric Lang, who's designed a game or two. Just a, a ton of who's who, kind of the Mount Rushmore of people in the gaming industry. And, uh, you know, just all sorts. Of, and also a ton of like people that no one's ever heard of that have also been really interesting to talk to. And so my my podcast is very topical. It's, it's all right. We're going to dive into this one topic for an hour and we're going to pick it apart and, and see where it goes. And, uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun over the last... I guess four and a half years now. Yeah, that's cool. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but you live in Honduras. I we do.
1: discovered. Yeah. Um, but I am. I'll eat my hat if you're if you're
0: Honduran because of your <laughs> accent. <laughs> <laughs> what gave it away? Uh, my <laughs> constant use of the word "y'all" or random <laughs> random country sayings that no one knows what they mean. Uh, that's been a lot of fun. I'm going to so. guess
1: you're from somewhere in the south. Oh, definitely. You can't pinpoint it. Definitely. You want you want to take a guess? Uh, Mississippi. Uh oh, close.
0: Alabama. Alabama. Oh, okay. Middle of close. nowhere, Alabama. Also known as just Alabama. Yeah. And Where uh, yeah. in Alabama? I lived in Alabama okay. actually for Alexander a Alexander City, for... right outside Auburn, close to yeah. Montgomery. They're in the central part of the state. Close to Lake Martin. Okay. I grew up, you know, going out to the lake all the time and having a lot of fun there. Yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, so grew up there playing football, you know, just doing the normal Alabama thing. Uh, ended up moving to Kentucky for a few years. Got a scholarship to play football at Murray State University. That didn't work out so well. Uh We had a new coaching staff come in that I didn't jive too well with. So I took some time off of football and then couldn't shake the bug. Growing up in Alabama, you got to play football. It's just what you do. It's in your DNA. And uh, so I transferred to Auburn University. What did you play? I played receiver. Uh, A lot of people thought I was a kicker based on uh, being white and uh, not super big. But uh, I'm much faster than your average kicker by uh, a point or two. And uh, anyway, so transferred to Auburn University and ended up, Having a you know being able to play there and have some stats somewhere, ESPN.com somewhere. I yeah, got like a handful of tackles <laughs> here or there. Uh, you know, <laughs> mostly playing special teams, but you yeah. know, it was a lot of fun playing the SEC. But and you then, were on the team. I mean, I that's was, more than a lot I of people was. can say, right? Like, and uh, yeah, it's pretty hard yeah. to do. And then I graduated, and then the next season they won the national championship. It's like, oh.
1: That's cool. Oh, man. So yeah. that would have been like the the Cam Newton National Championship. It okay. was.
0: So funny story about Cam. I remember. So when I was a senior, I was getting ready to graduate and I had a bunch of, you know, random tryouts. I was going to go try out for CFL teams, and AFL teams and stuff like that. And so I was at the complex training with all these other guys that were going to go to the NFL draft, like these legit, you know, amazing yeah. athletes. And uh, we were there. And I remember we were running routes and throwing one day and this humongous human being walks in the door. And I looked at. The quarterback that was that had graduated with me, Chris Todd, and he had set a bunch of records. He'd done really well, and I said, "Who is that guy?" I was like, "Is that a defensive lineman?" And he goes, "No, man, that's a it's a new quarterback. He just transferred oh. here." I was like, "You've got to be kidding me! He's way too big." <laughs> and so anyway, we ran routes, and uh, this massive quarterback was not super accurate. Every ball was like way over my head or in the dirt, and yeah. it, you know. Or way too hard. I'd run like a five yard route, and he'd throw it as hard as he possibly could. And it's like, come on, man, I'm I'm right here. And so I remember leaving the complex that day, thinking, man, I don't know who that guy was, but I don't I don't know that he's going to be all that good at, at quarterback. And uh, <laughs> he turned out to be yeah. Cam Newton, who won the national championship, won the Heisman, first overall draft. You know, pick. Yeah, he, yeah, he turned out okay. Luckily yeah. for him, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So that's crazy. That's you never wild. know, man. You never know.
1: Yeah. Well, I, w- I, have lots of questions now about, uh, Auburn and football and Alabama and all that kind of stuff, but we'll get to that later. I want to hear more about, uh, so how did you go from, uh, cause like, I feel like that's not super common. Like I don't talk to a lot of, uh, game designers cause we have a lot of game designers on this podcast. Uh, I don't talk to a lot of game designers who are like high level athletes, uh, and especially football. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like those two things are almost like, like in, in board game, in the world of board games, it's like the, what like Gen Con, for instance, like if you go to Gen Con, it's like one of the few places in America you can go where people are like, oh, football's lame. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> They've all gathered. Uh, That's really what it is. It's convention to talk about how stupid sports are. And right. <laughs> also we're going to play board games, but it's mainly to uh, yeah, remind each yeah. other that sports are I'm dumb.
1: stereotyping a little bit. <laughs> like, obviously there's board gamers who are super into sports and oh, stuff, yeah. but how did you go from uh, being an athlete uh, and being really like, cause you were trying out for CFL teams and stuff. Mm-hmm. So how did you go from that to getting into
0: board games? And yeah, that's a good question. Design? I think, well, going back to, you know, there's not many of us that are football players that end up as board game designers. I think part of that is because to be really good at game design, it helps if you don't have brain damage. That's probably part of it. Yeah, uh, A lot of us have, Certain degrees of brain damage. Like I spent mm. a decade of my life running into people as hard as I possibly could with my oh. head, and yeah. uh, you know I'm, I'm curious as to like how many brain cells I've lost. And you know I've, I've got friends that are were teammates that can't remember yeah. stuff now. You know they're 35 years right. old and forget their kids' names. It's like this mm. is really tragic. But anyway, so that may, maybe that's part of it. But um, <laughs> I, you know I was always kind of into games, and when I was in college, yeah. I really got into playing a lot of D anD. d Strangely enough, and uh, in my oh, off time. You know, And yeah. I had a
1: group of friends that I had gone to high school with. Were there with. other like, football players at
0: Auburn or, or Murray no. State that No, no. I never talked D&D. about this. I, I never talked about <laughs> you this in a locker room. <laughs> I, <had, laughs> I had my football friends, and then I had my other yeah. friends. And Your luckily, friends. Your D&D friends. Yeah, nerds. exactly. Yeah. And I had grown up right outside Auburn. And so I had a ton of friends there at the school who weren't athletes. They were just regular folks. And we all grew up together. Yeah. And we we're, were a bunch of nerds playing video games and board games. And, and we got into D&D. They were my junior senior year, I guess. And I think that's where it started, because I feel like anyone who plays D&D, you get the bug. Like, you're like, oh, because everything is possible. Like, you're, D&D mm-hmm. is great because you're kind of designing how the game is going to play out, you know, inside the mechanisms, inside the theme and all that. But at the same time, you you have the freedom to come up with what's going to happen. And then you roll dice mm-hmm. and you know, have fun. I think so maybe that's kind of where it started and got into playing a lot of board games. And I don't know, that's, where, that's where it began. And the more yeah. I played, the more I was like, you know, what? I think I want to try making some of these. That's kind of how my brain works. Um, when I read books, I'm like, I think I want to write, you know, when I, when I do anything, I, yeah. I have this like in me, it's like, I want to, I want to try this. I think this could be interesting just thing. to dive yeah. into. <laughs> so that's kind of where it started. That's cool.
1: Okay. Awesome. And uh, how long have you been designing board games?
0: Hmm, Probably 12 years, 12. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think I counted up the other day. It was like 12 years of, of kind of dabbling. Um, yeah. The last five have been serious. Five or six. was okay. um, when I really got serious, trying to get games published uh, and, you know, eventually yeah. started my podcast, started my company and stuff like that. So messing mm-hmm. around with it for 12, really serious for five or so.
1: So what are what games might people know you from or what are some games you've designed that people may have played?
0: Yeah. So games that have done pretty well on Kickstarter. Uh, I've been working on a series of solo games called Hunted, and there's been three games in the series so far. And basically, you're a character on the run and you have to it's a card game. And you're playing all these cards and it's very thematic. So one game is kind of similar to like a diehard or, you know, you're, you're this guy, you're an action hero basically. And you got to save your wife from the terrorists. Uh, there's another one that's got kind of an alien type theme. There's another one that's got kind of a stranger things type
1: thing,
0: And and all these games are, are solo. And so maybe those, um, yeah, those are probably my most well-known.
1: Okay, cool. That's great, man. And, uh, when did you get started on your podcast?
0: Let's see. That was December of 2016. Um, yeah, it was kind of, uh, it was so funny. Um, i was living in Honduras and I wanted to be part of the gaming culture, gaming industry in some way. And so I was like, well, you know, I could review games, but it's really difficult to get a game to Honduras and it is not cheap at all. And so I was like, well, maybe not reviewing games. It's not like I can go to my game store and like, oh, let me buy some games. And so I started thinking through yeah. like, what if I started a podcast and I was really interested in game design and I thought, you know, what if I could just start a show, invite designers on, maybe some of them will want to talk to this random dude they've never heard of. And if I could get like 10 listeners, that'd be excellent. Like I thought double digits would be amazing. Just get double digit yeah. listeners each week. And uh, so I started the show and Jamie Stegmeier, who's one of the most well-known people in the entire like hobby side mm-hmm. of the gaming industry. He was yeah. my first guest. Like he came on as the first episode <laughs> and then it just yeah. kind of snowballed from there. And I've been able to have a lot of just amazing people on and uh, I have a few more listeners than 10 at this point. And so it's, it's worked yeah. out really well surprising that's to cool, me man. like i never thought it would be something yeah. and it's turned into yeah. really my primary income and uh, a business all on its own and so it's just it's crazy that's cool
1: scythe is probably my favorite board game oh, that's kind of kind of my jam yeah yeah so we had Jamie. we actually had jamie on this podcast a while back too so oh, nice. uh super genuine guy like oh really, yeah he's amazing really cool good friend yeah um so and then you've also like just uh, written a book written some books about uh Board game design? Is yeah, right? I think
0: I've written seven books at this point. Uh, two of them are game design related. Uh, both of them, I, I interviewed a ton of people and then kind of turned the interviews into content, basically. Uh, one is, is yeah. game design advice, just kind of general advice. And the other one is all about Kickstarter and how to run a successful Kickstarter campaign for a board game.
1: Yeah, yeah. that's cool. So how do you do those things? Give us the quick...
0: Uh, time is a big <laughs> one. So what I, what I yeah. tell people like marketing is so important now because there's so many games. I mean, any given time mm. there's like 500 games on Kickstarter. And so yep. good luck standing out because not only is it people in their basement, it's also multi million dollar companies that are using the platform mm-hmm. and their games look amazing and they didn't necessarily yep. need Kickstarter, but they're there anyway. And so you're competing against that and you're competing yeah. against Netflix and Facebook and everything else. Uh, and so mm-hmm. you have to have a game that looks good that plays well and people can preview it and it looks good in the videos, but also you just need time. You know, I tell people the best time to start marketing your game was a year ago. Uh, the second mm-hmm. best time is right now, like right now. And so, you know, get the landing page up, get people excited about it, get the the hype train going as much as you can early. Cause if, if you don't, then you're going to really struggle.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you compiled a bunch of advice from, mm-hmm. uh, from a whole bunch of successful Board game designers, um, yeah, I'd be curious because you did all these interviews and things. Is there like an interview or or somebody who gave some really great advice that stands out that's kind of stuck with you that maybe's influenced the work that you do? Or oh, that's a good question. I'd Curious if something something kind of
0: pops to your mind. Man, well, Jamie, going back to to him, uh, he had just again super genuine advice. There were a handful. I'm trying to remember who I can't remember off the top of my head, but there were a handful of people that really just took. The, the opportunity to go deep, you know, some of the, some of the yeah. interviews were it's kind of general generic advice that if you're just getting started, it's really good. But if you've been doing this for a year or two, it's like, oh, okay, I already know that. Uh, but there were a handful of people that really just dove in uh, with specific yeah. examples and, and stuff like that. I wish I could remember off the top of my head. This was like three years ago when that book came out. <laughs> <laughs> Not one that I've reread uh, recently. Yeah. But, um, but anyway, so yeah, the people that like really took the opportunity to to give back. Uh, And you can tell, tell the difference. The folks that were just like, oh yeah, I can help you out. Versus like, oh, I would love to share this Mm -hmm. advice. And there was a big difference there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It seems like the board game community is pretty generous with, um, like sharing the tips and tricks of the trade. And like, um, I mean, it, it, it's, you know, it's, it's a, budding industry, which you would think eventually that's going to change, but maybe <laughs> right now, like, like they'll get more cutthroat eventually, but right now it feels like, uh, yeah, there's just this really cool community of practice, uh, that's really open and, and willing to,
0: to share and, and help each other grow. Yeah. Do, do, do you think that's true? Oh, hundred percent. And going all the way back to my podcast, I mean, the fact that I could get some of the biggest names, in the industry mm. to come on a, a show that no one had ever heard of. And no one like had didn't exist. Like I was recording these episodes before yeah. the show launched, you know? And so that was a huge thing, but what's interesting about board games, most people realize that in the gaming industry, a rising tide raises all ships. You know, we're not, mm-hmm. we're not in a car industry where if somebody buys a Honda, then they're not going to the next day, go out and buy a Toyota. Like that's not going to happen. It's going to be years before they buy another vehicle. And so you have yeah. to really fight to get that sale because, You know, they don't come around as much as much with games. I've never met anyone who bought one board game and didn't go out and buy like 10 more, 50 more, 100 more. Like it's something that once people get in, they're in and they're going to go buy all sorts of games from all sorts of companies and different genres and themes and, and mechanisms and stuff like that. And so I think we all realize that, like we're all working to get as many people in as possible because one person coming in means 50 sales for all of us. And so I think that's, that's part of it. And it's also just, I mean, it's gaming, you know what I mean? It's like a, the the state of it in general, it's just like, Mm -hmm. this kind of laid back, relaxed, let's have some fun. Let's let's spend some time hanging out with each other. You know, kind of. Yeah.
1: Yeah. What, uh, what drives you to, I think both, both to make games, but then also to like participate in the community in this way where you're, I mean, essentially you have a podcast and you've written these books that are essentially designed, intended to help people, Make more games. <laughs> yeah. So, what drives you to to participate in the community in that way?
0: That's a good question. I feel like no matter what I do, I end up wanting to help people in some way. Um, it just seems to, to be how my life has gone. No matter what I do, I end up in some kind of ministry role or nonprofit role. Or right, right now, I'm working at a school in Honduras. You know, um, yeah. it just seems to be my mindset. It's like, okay, this is really really cool. How can I help other people enjoy it? or get really good at it or learn from my mistakes. And so they don't have to make the same ones. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of how my brain seems to default. Uh, it's probably my mom's fault. <laughs> you know, that's how uh, she is. Uh, <laughs> and she, she was all always involved in ministry and missions and doing stuff in the community and always drugged me yeah. along whether I wanted to be there or not. And uh, that, maybe that's where it started, <laughs> yeah. but it just seems to be how my brain lo- like the lowest common denominator. That, that's where it yeah. is.
1: Yeah. So uh, I'm guessing you, you grew up in the church then like you grew up uh what 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 did you
0: grow up going to uh, a particular church? Yeah, so non-denominational for a while, uh, up until I was about fourteen, and and it's actually kind of like whenever I, I tell my life story, that's actually where it starts when I was fourteen, because um, I got thrown out of a church when I was fourteen. That was kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> so crazy story. So my Do you mom, tell? Yeah, 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 this <laughs> this is where the, like the juicy stuff gets roving. Like, um, so my mom and I were you know really parts of this church. Like there every Sunday doing all the mission stuff. My mom was doing a lot of mm. stuff in the youth group. Um, we, your dad too? Or is your dad in the picture? My dad was around some, my parents, my parents' relationship was super strange. Um, they got divorced when I was young, remarried, mm-hmm. separated again when I was a teenager. My dad and I really didn't have a relationship at all up until I was probably like 23. So probably like mm. 15 to 23. Like we knew each other and then you know, we talked, but it wasn't like a relationship. Um, yeah. When I got when I got done with college, when I got out kind of more out into the world, um, I realized the terrible life that my dad had had growing up, and just mm. a lot of tragic, painful stuff. And what I come, what I came to realize was, he—it's not that he was a bad dad; he just didn't know how to be a dad, mm. and he wasn't like yeah. trying to be some bad person. So uh, you're so, able to have
1: some empathy with,
0: oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: where he came from, I because got he. Yeah.
0: Turned out way better than my grandfather. My grandfather mm. was a super interesting guy. Uh, has a, I've got a lot of cool, fun stories about him, but just not a great person overall. And and my dad, he didn't know how to be a dad, but he knew not to be like my grandfather. And so, yeah. you know, like he had beat me, like like he had received, and, but he just didn't know how, what to do, right? And so he just kind of mm. was like, I don't know. And Not that he checked out, but it was just, we were real distant uh, up yeah. until like my mid twenties. And once I started realizing all these mm. things from his past, I, you know, I, I was like, I, what am I doing? Like, it's not his fault. And so you know, a lot of forgiveness and our relationship has been excellent since then. And once I started having kids, you know, and he really mm-hmm. has just turned into this amazing
1: uh, person that's and grandfather. Cool. And yeah, that you're just, able to like reconnect and yeah. a lot of people should like spend their whole lives struggling to, you know, overcome stuff like that. So that's cool. Right. Thankful, thankful that I'm, I'm very thankful to, that
0: I was, you know, 24 or so when it, when it happened. Yeah. But um, anyway, so I'm 14. It was really just me and my mom going to that church and like super involved. I mean, cleaning it every Saturday night, like every Saturday evening. Obviously, where a 14-year-old kid wants to be is with his mom cleaning the church. <laughs> and so that's where yeah. I'm at, you know, vacuuming and all that stuff. But anyway, the, uh, the pastor of the church, unfortunately, started having an affair with one of the ladies in the church. Mm-hmm. And this girl in the youth group, she was like 16, something like that. Um, she had seen the pastor out with his little girlfriend. And she said something so somebody about it and yeah. that person obviously like flipped out and was like pressuring her. It's like, where did, did you see something? Where did you, and this, this girl, I like, didn't know what to do. And we, to this day, this was 20 years ago to this day, still have no idea why, but she said, Oh, uh, Miss Sandra told me. And so she made up this lie mm-hmm. that my mom had said this, which was not true like my mom, like no clue at all. And so anyway, when the pastor heard about it, he obviously flipped out because he was having an affair and he's doing everything he can to lie and cover his tracks and all this stuff. And so yeah. he made up a bunch of garbage, um, and went to the deacons and like, they all got together and, uh, they basically wrote this letter and said, Hey, you're, you're not, you and your family are no longer welcome here. And so I get, wow. you know, me and my mom got kicked out of a church. And now about a year later, uh, everything is you and your mom, like yeah. no other brothers, sisters. No, okay. no, uh, that's another story. I get into that and sing it. but it. Um, so about a year later, everything came out and the pastor, uh, oh, he, he was having an affair and like, yeah. but again, my mom never knew anything. Like she, like, it was just all just made up, um, as far as her involvement or her knowledge, all this stuff. And so, but, uh, anyway, yeah. as far as like siblings, um, my brother, I would have a brother, he would be seven years older than me. He died during, uh, delivery, during childbirth, mm. um, And that's probably one. I mean, it's the main thing that kind of wrecked my parents' marriage. Um, Like, how do you, how do you deal with Mm -hmm. that? You know what I mean? And the blame and the resentment and like all the feelings that go with that and blaming God. And, you know, Mm -hmm. um, it was just a tough, tragic, terrible situation. And um, yeah. So anyway, that's, that's just a whole (laughs) nother situation. Uh, But yeah, yeah. my mom persevering through all that. I've asked, she's been Mm -hmm. through a lot of stuff and I've asked her, I asked her years ago. I was like, mom, I don't understand. Like you keep coming back to Jesus. Like, I just don't get it. Like we went to all the stuff at the church with the lies and being thrown out and all that. And yeah. she never missed a beat. Like she was super devastated she just like, yeah. by it, you know, and just mm-hmm. cried her eyes out. But then like two or three weeks later, we started going to this other church that was close to where we were living. And, um, yeah. You know, and, and I asked her, I was like, how in the world? Like, how? Like, why didn't you just give mm. up on God? Everybody gives up on God. Like, when these things happen to them, that's, that's just like what they do. And, and society that's understands. Where the default, yeah. yeah. Sure. And she mm. said, well, after your brother died and after all these things happened, what I realized is that there's just, there is no other way. Like, you can run and you can hide and you can do all these things. But at the end of the day, there's just Jesus. And, mm. and you're just going to end up back anyway. And so let's just, let's just cut out all the middle, man. Let's just go back. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I was like, okay, fine. And so I've been in a lot of uh-huh. situations too. that were just super frustrating or tragic or, fr- you know, just mm. awful. And I've just kind of come back to my mom's advice. It's like, well, you, you're going to be back here anyway. So you might as well not even leave <laughs> when it, you know, when it comes to Jesus. Now, obviously the church yeah. can be its own mess, but, um, sure, but Jesus is who he is. And, um, anyway, so 14 years old, kicked out of a church. Now we start going to this new church and uh, that's where I met, a guy named Jason, who was the youth director there. And uh, he just became one of the most important people in my Mm -hmm. entire life and um, incredible mentor. And, you know, in a a time where my dad wasn't around much, uh, he filled a lot of that gap and I had some coaches that filled, you know, filled gaps here and there. And um, anyway, so kind of fast forward a little bit. Um, Let's see. I graduate college. I'm living in Los Angeles of all places. And I'm working with the homeless. How did you land in Los Angeles? Oh man, it's a long story. So, (laughs) <laughs> basically, I didn't. Know, yeah, basically, I didn't know what to, what to do with my life, and uh, I had a friend at Auburn that had graduated at the same time, and he was moving back home to LA, and he was just going to figure it out. And he's like, "Hey, you're figuring it out. I'm figuring it out. Let's just like come live in my parents' basement and let's figure it out." Yeah, was this is a football and, uh, friend. No, it was uh... just a just a random guy, just a random okay. friend. Uh, so anyway, uh, and there's a whole lot yeah. more to it, but that's kind of like the basic of it. And so anyway, I'm out there and I don't know what to do with my life, but I feel kind of drawn toward ministry, I feel drawn towards the homeless for some reason. And like, there's no reason why for that. Like I didn't have some mission trip or whatever. Uh, I just felt kind of pulled in that direction. And so yeah. I started calling up homeless shelters and be like, hey, can I volunteer? And everybody was super weird about it. And they're like, why? <laughs> why are you, are you, are you a weirdo? Like, what do you are You have to do community service. Like, what do you do? I was like, no, I just feel like I need to do yeah. this. And so. Finally, one of the the ministries, the shelters. Sad, isn't it? Oh, no, right? That's the response, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And um, one of the shelters finally was like, oh, yeah, come on. You can come these days, these hours, whatever. And so I show up and I start taking out trash and cleaning bathrooms. And they had this 1960s U-Haul that they would drive around and pick up donations. And so they gave me the keys to this thing. And they would just be like, hey, go here, pick up this stuff. And that thing maxed out at like 42 miles an hour. And so I would be on the Los Angeles interstate. And going 42 miles an hour. And I was number one <laughs> to a lot of people that <laughs> zoomed by me. You know what I mean? That's and terrifying. So, yeah. uh, anyways, I'm, I'm doing this stuff and I'm like, God, what are you doing? Like, why am I here? Like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. And so I did that for a while. And then my friend Jason, former youth director, he calls me one day. And at that point, he was working in a church outside Atlanta in Marietta. And he says, hey, man, um, the church I work for, they're starting this new ministry. You're going to be getting involved with the homeless and, uh, you were the first person I thought of, like for somebody to maybe come run it. Um, you know, are you interested you need a job? And I asked him, I was like, do you know what I'm doing right now? He's like, no, I don't even like, where are you? Where are you? <laughs>
1: <I> said, <"Well, laughs>
0: I'm in Los Angeles working with the homeless. And he's like, okay, you're hired. And so, yeah. you know, I, I got gotten, you know, I don't remember how long, a few weeks later, I guess I got in the car and, uh, drove to Atlanta and started working. A long drive. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, it took a while. Um, <laughs> started working in this church, uh, and yeah, in Atlanta doing homeless ministry. And, um, it's crazy. And uh, did that for a while. And then fast forward just a little bit, a few years. Um, so I'm doing all domestic ministry. I'm, I'm, I don't feel at the time. I didn't feel called whatsoever to anything international, nothing overseas. Mm-hmm. My thought was I like English. I really like speaking English. I majored in English in college. I'm a big fan of the language don't really care to learn any other language. I'm a big fan of football and like real football, not like that little thing where you can't touch it with your hands. That's dumb. Uh, <laughs> real football, American football. Now, and I'm a big fan now. of Chick-fil-A and there's no Chick-fil-A <laughs> outside of the U S especially in the South. And so it's like, that's the trifecta. Like if I can go to yeah. another country with those three things then I'll go, but other than that, no, thank you. And so, <laughs> uh, but the, uh, the church I worked for, they were real big into international missions and they would go to Kenya and India and Honduras and all sorts of places. Uh-huh. And, um, so anyway, they had this, this trip coming up going to Honduras and, um, I was happy for him. I was like, y'all have fun, man. Y'all I'll, I'll see you when you get back. And my boss, the missions pastor, he was going to lead the team and, and do the whole church thing, you know, whatever. Yeah. And three days before the team leaves, he has some like family crisis pop up and he has to back out. Hmm. And as soon as he found out about the family thing, he walked over to my desk at the church and he said, Gabe, what are you doing next week? And I looked at him. I was like, no, no, sir. No. Uh, I said, I'm not going to Honduras. He said, I'm not asking. He said, go ahead and pack a bag. Go ahead and write a sermon. You're preaching as soon as you get there. And I just kind of laid out the trip, man. I didn't know. a sing- There's like 30 people on this team. I didn't know a single one. Yeah. And I was the second youngest person there. Like it was a bunch of 50 plus year old folks. I'm 25 at the time. Something like yeah. that. And um, I'm like, okay. And I am not excited about this trip. It's like, what are we doing? I don't want to be on, on this thing. And I remember uh. getting on the bus, it's like 5 a.m. We're going to the airport. And I'm like leaning my head up against the glass. I'm like, God, what are you doing? Like, what is this trip man? And um yeah. anyway, get to Honduras. And on that trip, I meet the woman that I am now married to.
1: Hmm.
0: And so my entire life obviously changed. And yeah. that woman was in the process of adopting a little girl. So obviously came into that process. The little girl has a sister. So it, like sister moved in too. And so now we like instant family. Um, I yeah. moved to Honduras, like all these crazy things happen. Uh, all because I got thrown out of a church when I was 14. You know what I mean? Like wow. everything hinges on yeah. that moment. Cause without that happening, mm-hmm. I never meet Jason. I never go work at this church. Like, so like, my entire life hinges on this super terrible, tragic thing created by a sinful man trying to cover his tracks and mm. it's just it's just it's just shows the the amazing ability God has to mm. to bring good out of what what man mean, means yeah. for evil. Um, yeah, and it was phenomenal. Um, and here I am, and so we're still going through adop, through the adoption process here, seven years later. Mm. If you're if you're going to adopt, I don't recommend Honduras uh, unless oh, wow. unless you want to so, be in for the long haul. So but, you still haven't adopted
1: the child that you?
0: Oh wow! Yeah, I mean. They live with us. They are our yeah. kids. You know, I'm dad. I just don't have a piece of paper yeah. to prove it. And, you know, they can't leave the country. So that's always frustrating. Like whenever I go back to the States, it, it's either me or my wife that will go and visit family. Uh, we can't really go. Mm, both gosh, of us. that's and, frustrating. Uh, oh, man. And it's just an incredible amount of incompetency. Mm. I've had very few instances of like corruption, like financially. Like the only time someone said, hey, if you give me some money, I'll, I'll help out your case. It only happened one time. And the, I, didn't, I didn't do it. I didn't feel good. I was like, I don't, I don't think so. I'm not going to do that. And like two weeks later, the guy got found out and he got fired. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, so I was like, oh, that's yeah. good. Uh, it's just an incredible <clears throat> amount of incompetency. I'll give you an example. So right now we are in like the very final tail end stage of adoption. And hmm. we're just waiting for the judge to sign off on some things. And then we'll go through the embassy and the USI will get new passports, new birth certificates, and we're good to go. Well, yeah. we've been waiting for several months Um, for this judge to finally take, you know, see our case and go through it and sign off and all that stuff. And last week, or maybe a few days ago, actually a few days ago, um, got a call from our lawyer and said that the judge has sent all the paperwork back to what's called DNAF, which we would call like child protective services, like the government agency that handles kids. Yeah. And they sent it all back. I was like, what do you mean they sent it all back? Like we've been waiting months for her to look at it and they sent it all back. And she said, yeah, apparently the paperwork only had one, of your daughters and not both in it. It's like y'all couldn't have like checked that before. Like you couldn't have like you had months. <laughs> yeah. You had months of, like, mm. somebody had to I just might have looked through and go, Hey, let's make sure that both of these kids are in here. Let's make sure the paperwork's here for both of them. And uh, it's like, it's stuff like that all the time. One time they lost our paperwork. And because nothing in this country is digital, everything is paper. Like, I was like well, what, what can we do? It's like, we don't know. Mm. Well, hopefully we find it. That was their answer. Hopefully we find it. And eventually they did. And I was like, well, that's good.
1: Yeah. It's <laughs> it's, oh man, it's I'm sorry. Oh, it's been an adventure. So and, uh, I guess you have sent you sent it back and now you're you're just waiting for this judge to yeah. go through it, basically. Exactly.
0: And hopefully it won't be mm. months of waiting again. I don't know. If, yeah. I don't know. Hopefully they put it back on top. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. And it's just been, like that is one of a hundred instances of just frustrating situations like that it's just all the time and Mm. to the point you just laugh like i don't even get angry anymore for a long time i'd I'd get upset Uh, because i was told this would be a three-year process and here i am in year seven of my three-year journey which is like
1: (laughs) crazy right like (laughs) it's not there's i mean three years is crazy Uh, like it should not take three years to finalize an adoption no um anywhere (laughs) like period but
0: now it's taken
1: seven And I'm in a best case
0: scenario because I live here. Like there's a bunch of people in the States that their kids that they're going, you know, they're working on the adoption. Their kids are in orphanages. They're just like being institutionalized. Mm. And I worked in an orphanage for a while when I first moved to Honduras. Um, again, that's where I'd met my wife. She was working at this orphanage and, and she's from Alabama too. Isn't that crazy? I'm, I had to go to Honduras to meet a girl from Alabama who's <laughs> from Fort Payne, which is like a couple hours up the road from yeah, me. Like know we Fort played Payne. each other in high school. Like yeah. we were that close. And so anyway, uh-huh. like God's just, so I, I uh,
1: lived in Albertville for five yeah. years, if you know where that okay. is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So not, not too far from Fort Payne. Not too far. I coached yeah. soccer when I lived there. It's funny cause you're making fun of soccer yeah. earlier, but, uh, I coached soccer at Albertville high school for a while. And, uh, uh actually coached club soccer in that area too so i had kids on my team from fort pain so i've been, oh, gotcha. been around there but so mm-hmm. yeah
0: the sock capital world. of the world for a while until all the factories really? move over yeah well, until everything moved to <laughs> ironically moved to honduras uh, and mexico yeah. but um mm-hmm. yeah it's just it's an interesting place man and yeah so
1: so yeah. what's the plan of like y'all gonna stick around in honduras once this adoption is finalized or
0: now, at this point, we are sitting on G waiting on O, um, you know, making the best of things. Uh, like I said, I worked at yeah. an orphanage for a while and then had the opportunity <laughs> to go work for a, an organization that was starting up um, basically to help kids that were transitioning out of orphanages. You know, they're aging out yeah. and they didn't have any life skills. And so that's one unfortunate thing about orphanages. The the little kids are the money makers, right? They're the cute mm-hmm. little people that you can put on your your flyers that make you more money. And so the older a kid gets, the less attention they get strangely enough mm. or sadly enough. And that's not everywhere. Yeah. I'm not speaking for everything, but definitely my experience. And so a lot of these older kids, they don't know how to get a job. They don't have any job skills. They don't know mm. how to wash clothes. They don't know how to do a lot of things that you need to know to live, especially yeah. there are certain things you really need to know if you're going to be in a country like Honduras, where it's it's not a tough. Pl- it's, it's not an easy place to live, uh, especially if you don't have anything. Like poverty here yeah. is real poverty. It's it's not the kind right. of privileged poverty in the States. Uh, you know, working with the homeless mm-hmm. in Atlanta, it was kind of interesting one of the main issues was obesity and all the factors that go along with yeah. obesity because the homeless folks in Atlanta eat too much. And so they have diabetes yeah. and heart problems and all sorts of issues that go along with that. It's like, well, what a first world issue where mm. the homeless folks eat too much, <laughs> you know? And so yeah. uh, you don't have that here in Honduras. It's not that problem. It's a whole other side of the spectrum. And uh, so anyway, i mm. working with the organization trying to help kids, you know, get life skills and get out into the real world. Did that right. for a while. And then the last four years I've been working, for a, a bilingual school where I've taught English and literature for a while, taught high school. And then now I'm in a kind of administration role where I'm helping out with recruiting and professional development and stuff like that. So, okay. you know, I've had a lot of fun here, met a lot of amazing yeah. people and mm. learned a lot, grown a lot and uh, seen some really cool things. But, uh, my wife, her, her dad's got stage four cancer. Uh, mm. you know, obviously we want to be back home, just to be around him and spend as much time yeah. as we can around him. And you, you never know when it's going to yeah. take a, take a turn. And uh, a lot of stuff like that. You know, I lost one of my best friends. Uh, He, he passed away. uh, Mm. When was that? November, I think a few months ago. And um, yeah, it's tough when you can't be there and because of COVID couldn't travel. Like I couldn't go to the funeral. Yeah. And um, right. It's tough. And so, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to being back. Um, Enjoyed my time here.
1: uh, Yeah. It seems like COVID has, I I have some friends that are um, trying to adopt internationally and it seems like um, I don't want to be, judgmental but just from the people I've talked to it seems like there's been a lot of a lot of people around the country that have used COVID as an excuse to mm. not move forward on things and adoption yeah. is one of those things you know
0: oh uh, my judge she has some yeah. alleged pre-existing condition so she only works on Saturdays mm. she works one day a week probably why yeah. it's taking my case along, but, um, so long but yeah there's <laughs> yeah, a lot you have of that to
1: pray that, that <laughs> one day that she works she can look at your paperwork and a couple weeks ago along. she didn't
0: show up. She like I was like, mm. lady, you work one day a week. You can't take a yeah. sick day. Like you can't take no. But anyway, yep. you know, that's what I,
1: my that's what my buddy said. He's like, you know, so much of adopting and for us anyway, adopting internationally has just been like like praying that someone will look at what you sent them. Right. Just like just open up what we sent you and look at it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh and I, yeah. I know it's frustrating. So, yeah, And then I mean, she told us I'm, to be
0: patient. She said, well, y'all just need to be yeah. patient. I'm like, woman, I think seven years, <laughs> like biblically speaking, like even God is like, you know what? Seven years is enough. Yeah. Seven years is like yeah. a holy number. Mm. And so, so many times in scripture, he's like, you're going to have to wait a while. How long? Seven years. I figured, I've i been biblically patient here. It's time yeah. to get this show on the road. But anyway.
1: No, I, I think that's fair. Uh, how
0: old are your kids? I see one is 12 and the other is 10. Okay. And I've got two biological kids that are two and then three months. So four kids total now.
1: Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a full house.
0: Yeah. I don't sleep a lot, man.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, so the two that you're adopting are 10 and 12. And Mm -hmm. then you said, see the other two again, two years old and then two months old. Oh man. Yeah. You are not sleeping. No. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. My, (laughs) my youngest is three and we, we still have that problem, but, Uh um, yeah well that's cool man uh and uh do you do you you, uh play games with your kids or i guess the older ones at least
0: yeah absolutely um not as much as i would like i am so busy it's one thing i've really been trying to get better at lately Mm. saying no um i deleted social media off my phone a few weeks ago because i'm like i have got to get time back i don't have much time in the day and any time spent scrolling a news feed is a waste. And so I've really been mm. trying to be more intentional. I need to do like, that. Oh,
1: man. My life I've is I've done back. it before. so much better. And then I always like go back. Yeah.
0: But yeah. Um, I'm not going back. I don't. So many people online that God I'm speed, like man. casually good. friends with, like a guy I went to college with for a year. Like, why am I yeah. reading what he thinks about politics? Who mm. cares? Who cares? He's yeah. not doing anything good and so anyway yep um yeah i've been trying to play games with my kids um it's hard to get new games here and so we end up playing the same old games over and over again but um one thing is what are great, your uh,
1: oh, go what are your go-tos with your kids oh
0: castle panic is an excellent one okay uh, i got this nice. powerpuff girl old game uh-huh. off ebay for like 10 bucks <laughs> and uh, they love that one um yeah those are oh uh, what's the game it's kind of like jenga but it's Oh, what's it called? Can't remember. Anyway, it's got these like fuzzy balls that it's okay. like Jenga, where you're moving the balls off the thing, yeah. and if it falls over, you lose. Uh, that's that's a great game that just came out recently. Uh, wish I remember the name of it. Anyway, but then my my oldest, the twelve year old, she sees me designing games, and so like she's been designing her own games, and so sometimes oh, nice. we'll we'll sit down that's and awesome. play one of hers, and um, yeah, yeah, it's been a lot of fun, and it's just amazing how much what your kids see you doing mm-hmm. they emulate you know, good, bad and ugly. Yeah. And uh it's been a lot of fun just kind of connect with her and and talk through game theory and game mechanisms and be like, "Oh, what if you try this? And what if you use two dice instead of one?" You know, it's just been fun to connect with her in that way. She's super creative yeah. in general. She's cut up a lot of our our stuff. And it's like, "Hey, you you need to ask before you cut up everything." So that's been been fun. She's gotten into some trouble recently. It's like, "Don't don't cut things that aren't yours." But uh, <laughs> but you know, overall it's, it's fine. That's cool.
1: Uh and uh what is, uh, like, how is that being a father, like how's that influenced you as a game designer and person and all those kinds of things?
0: Well, from a business standpoint, it's very motivating, right? When, when you're by yeah. yourself, failure is a little bit more of an option. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you can, you know, you can live off basically nothing. And if you end up having to live off somebody's couch for a while and eat macaroni and cheese every meal, fine. But then you, You have a spouse, you have kids. And so there's like, there's people walking around your house. that are constant reminders that failure Mm -hmm. is not an option. And so that's, that's good and bad. You know, there's tension, there's stress that comes with that. But there's also like a drive to succeed and a drive to work Mm -hmm. and do your best to make sure things are going to be successful and and whatever that takes. And so definitely have felt that with my business. Um, And just, you know, you want to, you want to make them proud. I think it's another thing, right? You want them to be able to say, that's my dad you know, and, and he does this and he's awesome. Like you, you kind of, you want that, that for them, you know, just in the same way mm-hmm. that you wanted to grow up and your dad could beat up everybody else's dad. And he was the coolest guy in the world. Uh, you know, you know, it's not true, but you, you want it to be true. And so, yeah, yeah I think that's a, a big part of it. And, um, yeah, I think single people have an incredible advantage cause they have so much time. And, and you know, this as a dad too, like you had so much time before kids, you didn't realize it oh until gosh, after kids. Yeah. And you're like, where, what did I do with all that extra time? Yeah, but um. Uh-huh. The, the disadvantage from being single is you don't have that pressure, that accountability of those people in your house that are eating sure. all your food. <laughs> yeah. You gotta, you gotta make money, go buy more food, you know, and all yep. the things that go along with that and paying for college and all that stuff. And so there's definitely that.
1: Yeah. What about, uh, what, what's life like been for you, for y'all in Honduras? Like, uh, I don't know. will give, give us a snapshot of like, a, I've been to Nicaragua, mm-hmm. um, a couple of times. I've been to that part of the country but never to Honduras. So I don't really have like a yeah, it's good like, uh, understanding. It's like Nicaragua, but poorer, if you can imagine that. Oh, really? Yeah. Honduras okay. is. Yeah. Cause yeah. I remember going to Nicaragua and thinking it was, you know, some of the parts of the country that we were in were, were pretty, mm-hmm. pretty impoverished. It seemed like.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's Roatan, which is phenomenal. And if anyone ever has a chance to go there, incredible beaches. I've been, let's say I went pre COVID year and a half, two years ago, something like that. Phenomenal place. The rest of the country, yeah. though, it's, uh, is struggling. So I live in a place called El Tío, which is kind of up on the mountain outside okay. Tegus, uh, Tegucigalpa, which is the capital. And if you Google yeah. Tegucigalpa, it'll tell you that this is like the third most dangerous city in the world. And the first most dangerous is San Pedro Sula, which is three hours that way, also in Honduras. And so yeah. it, one thing, it's it's kind of like the public perception and then reality. Uh, As you might Mm -hmm. imagine, it's not a war zone here, really, even though that would be like what the media would tell you. And there's always caravans from Honduras and, and, you know, whatever. Um, Day to day, it's not like that. Right. A lot of the there's a ton of violence, but a lot of it happens in the same little areas, uh, gang related, drug related, cartel related. So don't go there. Don't go in that area. Don't mess around with the drug trade. Don't mess around with somebody else's wife. And you're probably going to be okay. In general, there's not a <laughs> okay. ton of like random violence. It's not like Chicago or D- Detroit yeah. where people just randomly mm. get murdered on the street. That doesn't happen here. Most stuff is yeah. very targeted and, and on purpose, which is really interesting. There's mm. also a lot of superstition. It's a very Catholic country and there's a lot of superstition around certain things. And um, it's kind of funny, like these, these, these beefed up, you know, crazy, scary dudes that have killed lots of people are very afraid of of God in certain ways. Hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of funny when I've got friends that are journalists that tell all these stories about interviewing these like hardened criminals, but like they have a, a weird reverence for Jesus. They're like, no, 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 he'll get you. <laughs> You're like, don't yeah. mess with that. And, uh, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And where I live, so take uh, Honduras in general, very, very warm, very hot climate, but I live up in the mountains. And so it's kind of nice here. I, it's basically San Diego weather all the time. Hmm. And so I really enjoy where I live. Uh, I live in a community here at the school where it's a lot of of North Americans and and Honduras kind of mixed in. And and so there are a lot of people here that understand my cultural jokes, that get my references, which is nice. I've lived in other parts of the country where no one spoke English other than me and my wife. And uh, (laughs) that was always interesting. And, uh, you know, no one would have any idea, any kind of pop culture reference. Yeah, but um, that's funny. Anyway, It's been an experience. So are you fluent in Spanish now? Not as much as I was. So when I was at the orphanage, like I spoke Spanish all day long. And none of the kids spoke English. And and I was it was me and this Honduran guy that were in charge of the teenage boys. And there were roughly Mm. 90 of them and two of us. And so that was a fun situation. And um, yeah, it was That sounds intense. Oh, it was was crazy. And it was just it was managing chaos all day long and making sure no one
1: died. I remember when I was uh I was in college. This is my senior year of college. I got the bright idea to like, try to make a couple extra bucks every week by doing some, um, substitute teaching. (laughs) And, uh, cause I had like one day a week when I didn't have any classes. And so, so I did. And, uh, I always, I always got some of like the inner city schools. Uh, and, and I went to, uh, one school where I was the PE teacher for the day. And, uh, like literally I was taking role and there'd be guys that were like, as soon as, as soon as I said their, their name, they like took off, you know, and they were like, I'd be like, Hey, you can't leave. Uh, and they'd be like, what's my name? And I'd be like, it would have been like several names passed with, you know, like they would wait till I said like f- 10 more names then they'd leave. Be like, I don't know your name. <laughs> cause there'd be like, cause there'd be like 60 or 70 people in my class. Mm-hmm. And so I'd just be like, all right, I uh, guess you're leaving. I can't day. do anything about it. But uh, like that was managing like 70 kids in a PE class was yeah. for one day was like really, really difficult mm-hmm. and really stressful. But you did that for like a few years. So,
0: yeah, it was, it was nuts. And man, that's, you're doing the Lord's work in that situation. Yeah, Cause it's, mm-hmm. it is not for the faint of heart, man. And yeah, um, yeah it was, it was interesting. That's for sure. And how um,
1: was that? How did that experience like shape you and?
0: Um, Well, you end up seeing a lot of the negative side of ministry. Unfortunately, you kind of see the the underbelly Um, and I tell anybody that that thinks they want to work. That's a real
1: big problem in Central America of like, um, like all these ministry organizations that end up being kind of like corrupt, right?
0: Yeah, unfortunately. And the one I worked for wasn't overly corrupt, but there was a lot of shady stuff going on. Yeah. And, um. You know, I tell anybody that wants to go into ministry, want, you want to go seminary, whatever. I tell people, first of all, don't. <laughs> right? Why, my, why not? Yeah. Well, my yeah. mentality is if I can scare you away from it, you didn't belong there anyway. That's that's True. my mentality. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And so, yeah. and the people that really need to be in ministry and the people that are going to do amazing things and be great leaders and all that, they're going to do it no matter what I say. And so there's that. Um, but whenever, whenever you work for a church, you see all the ugly side. You see the politics. Yep. You see the money. You see the the incompetency and, and you just, and it's, it's, it's tragic how the many people
1: positioning. Oh and, yeah. But yeah, it's yeah. tragic
0: how many people work for a church and then leave the church, leave the ministry. Mm-hmm. Right. Don't want anything right. to do with Christians or whatever. And it's because they get so jaded and burn out. And, and so you got to really know what you're getting into um, because the church is full of people and people. People yeah. suck. People like no messy. matter where you go, <laughs> yeah, you know? people suck. Yeah, it just it's is what it is. Yeah. And we the do. church has a really t- a good tendency to be a magnet for broken people. And so you end up with all these like really broken people trying to do stuff. And, and a lot of times leadership is just not what it should be, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, and I ran into this when I was in my early, early and mid twenties where you get this, you get this high, right? Cause especially if you're a preacher and I preached for a while and I was a pastor and at a church in, uh, Atlanta for a little while, and like people are listening to you, and yeah, you know, and you're on the, on the stage, and you're this person, and it builds up your ego, and it builds up your pride, and it's it's very dangerous uh, for people that can't handle it. And luckily, I didn't, I never got to a point where um, anything crazy happened, but like it could have, because like that was, it's like yes, I am somebody, and yeah, you know, luckily I went through a lot of stuff that reminded me I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> and I had some really good people around me yeah. to to remind me that I'm not and, and what the point of this is. And Jesus is the focus and Jesus is the main thing. and Keep the main thing, the main thing. And um, I heard a woman say one time she was preaching to a group of pastors. It was like a pastor conference. And she said, a lot of you don't understand. Your talent will take you where your integrity can't keep you. Hmm. And I thought that was so just on point. Yeah, that's you know. Good. And how many people want to climb because they have the natural tendency. Like if you put them in the business world, they're going to do everything they can to be CEO. Right, they have that in them, but they find themselves in ministry, mm. and in, but with the same mentality and how dangerous that is. Right, uh, I feel like yeah. I feel like all pastors should start off as janitors. I feel like seminary mm. the first six months to a year should be cleaning toilets and taking out trash and dealing with all go. the garbage that goes along with like cleaning up a church, cleaning up a business, cleaning up a place because you learn so much and it it, it humbles mm. you. Um, and my time in Los Angeles was super helpful and like cleaning toilets, you know, and just kind of learning that side of things. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I don't want to keep I don't want to crap on the church. Like the church is amazing, but it's also terrible. Like it's it's everything yeah. at the same time. And, <laughs> yeah. and so yeah, you just a have to perspective have yeah. to understand that. You know? mm-hmm. and, and Jesus is who he says he is. Um, <laughs> but I heard a guy say one yeah. time, like Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom of God and we wound up with the church. And it's like <laughs> it's not perfect by any stretch. Like there's there's it's messed yeah. up, but it's what we got, you know, and and, and we are commanded yeah. to love it and to love it and do the best we can to Progress the kingdom through it, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, you anyway, know, I could go on for days and days about that kind of stuff. But uh, So that's sure, kind of what
1: keeps you going, yeah. I guess, it's in a of of sense. It. Because because it sounds like, you know, you've had a lot of experiences that would and have. Like, a lot of people have had the kind of experiences you've had. Even people who were in ministry or, like, in key positions in churches and had those really frustrating setbacks or, yeah. like, or faced – or experienced corruption and were on the, you know, the receiving end of that, like, and just said, I'm done. Oh, yeah. I'm out. But, but you've stuck with it. So it's, it's this feeling that even in the midst of all that, like Jesus is, is consistent for you. Like he is who, he, who he says he is.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it goes probably goes back to my mom and like, that's just yeah. how I was raised that this is, this is the core uh, when everything mm. else, blows up, burns down, you get thrown out, whatever. Yeah. And Jesus doesn't change, you know, and, yep. and he's right there. He's, he's there the whole time. And, um, yeah, it's just kind of how I've chosen to live my life and try to help other people mm. as well. Cause there's been so many people hurt by church for all sorts of different issues. You know, people that, um, have been burned, have been cast aside, marginalized. And unfortunately as religious people, we have a tendency to slide towards Phariseeism, right? Yeah. It's, it's kind of funny how a lot of times we read the Bible and we see the Pharisees and we don't realize how much we are them. How much
1: that's us. Yeah. Like
0: Jesus is calling us whitewashed tombs, brood of vipers, you know, not pulling any punches, running us out of the temple. Uh, And and whenever you don't think it could be you, it's more than likely you for sure. And that's one thing (laughs) I always come back to. It's like, am I letting my religion get in the way of Jesus? Am I, am I putting more effort, energy, money, whatever, towards these sets this set of beliefs this this structure as opposed to am i chasing after god and like mm-hmm. what does that look like you know mm-hmm. and and just trying to constantly come back to that and surrounding myself with people they're trying to do the same thing and, and looking at each yeah. other's lives and going hey man um check like look at like you want to look into this right here because you i feel like mm-hmm. you're getting a little too far away from like jesus like you're getting a little too far into the structure of religion and maybe that's now we're going and I'm not being like, well, I'm, I'm spiritual, not religious. I'm like that. Whatever. Like that's not what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> Jesus sure. is a whole new thing, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of times we, we, we put things above him. Uh, even, even the Bible, you know, Jesus said, I am the word. That's what one thing I love mm-hmm. about Christianity. And I studied a lot of uh, religions, different religions, religious classes, and whatnot in college, just trying to understand. Right. Cause when I got to college, yeah. I was like, okay, I need to own this faith. If this is going to be m- my faith—it can't be because my mom believed it. Can't believe because my grandfather, whatever. Uh, I, I had a really amazing grandfather on my mom's side, and he was hugely impactful on my faith. And I, I realized I can't—I can't be me because of him. I have to be me because of me and understanding stuff. Yeah. And I just went on a search, and I studied as many religions as I could find, and I never could find Jesus in any of those others. Like there'd be good stuff, mm. you know, good morals, good ideas, good things to shape your life around. But I—but Jesus was just so different. You know, um, Hmm. and it didn't make any sense. Like, love your enemies. What? (laughs) Why? Yeah. You know, people Hmm. persecute you, pray for them. Like, what? Like, so many things about Jesus just did not make sense from a world standpoint or from a religious standpoint. And Hmm. I just kept coming back. It's like, okay, there's something different here. And how do I navigate my life? How do I look at everything through the lens of this Christ character? And going back to the word, it's like, it's crazy because Jesus didn't write... The Bible, you know, what I mean? like yeah, he didn't, he didn't yeah. sit down and write a bunch of things like a lot of religious leaders do, right? You know, they, they leave it for their followers. Like, no, he died. And they were like, what are we going to do? <laughs> <laughs> this guy we've been following sure. for three years is dead. And yeah. he just said, follow him. And like, he didn't, he didn't even give us like a post-it note of like top five rules to live by, like nothing like that. And then, <laughs> but yet it changed the world. You know what I mean? Like mm. this, yeah. this character, this, this person in history that turned out to be who he said he was. You know, yeah, and so anyway, you know, it's it's a lot deeper than that, and more complicated than we can get into on a hour long podcast. But um, I just kept coming back to that, and um, it's mm. like, how do I live my life so that so that that's true? Because I feel, I know so many people that claim it to be true, but they don't live like it is. You know, sure, and that's all of us. Yeah, I, me too. You know, I'm a, I'm a practical mm-hmm. atheist sometimes too. But how do I on a daily basis live like I I believe what I'm saying? And I, yeah. I live like yeah. Jesus is who he is. And what does that look yeah. like? And it's like, it really is good news. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like one thing, one thing bothers me so much about going to church and, and pastors and preaching and stuff like that is they say it like, like, Hey guys, I got some good news for you. <laughs> <What is> this? <laughs> and I think that's one of the yeah. main reasons why so many people have left the church, uh-huh. especially young men is because we haven't presented the gospel as the true adventure that it is. The challenge, the journey mm. You know, that this is one of the, this is the most difficult thing you will ever attempt to do. And it's become rules and regulations and structures. Mm -hmm. And who wants to be part of that? You know, but if you, if you say, Hey, let's go on an adventure, let's go explore, Mm. let's go, let's go make a big difference in the world. And here's how you do it. Like that's, that's the church. That's what it's supposed to be. That's, that's the kingdom coming to earth,
1: you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, that's good, man. That's good. Well, I really appreciate hearing your perspective. It's cool. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, your life story is not one I could have made up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it's pretty, pretty wild. Pretty cool. Oh man. Uh, and I only really shared like
0: 15% of it. I think, you know, <laughs> yeah, a lot more. Yeah. So much more.
1: Does, uh, is your wife into you guys game together and stuff? She is my
0: number one playtester. Nice. She beats me. Yeah, I read that on your Yeah, like yeah. she she beats you, right? Yeah, all like ninety four percent of the time. It is crazy. Like <laughs> a game great. that she's never heard of, that she's never played, she's never seen at all. We'll uh-huh. sit down to play test and she'll win. It's like, how is this possible? I just designed this. I know all the ins and outs yeah. of it. I know how all the cards play, and you win. Like, okay. So She must be pretty sharp. I guess yeah. so. And if she ever <laughs> loses, it's a fluke. She's like, We gotta play again. That's i don't know what that was like i don't know what happened (laughs) and it should be the next time exactly and and so yeah yeah, she's great and um, she's a phenomenal mom and do uh uh, have you
1: like connected with any of your um like old football buddies uh, and admitted to them now like that you were into D &D and like and that you're a game
0: designer now well one thing that has definitely helped is when you're cashing checks right when you're making money and it's like Yeah. And not crazy money. I'm not sitting here like some kind of millionaire or something like that. But like when you're making your living off of games, all of a sudden it gets a little easier to say stuff, you know? Um, Sure. Because people can't make fun of it. It's like, you say what you want. Like this is paying for my kids to go to college. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Uh, I talked to a guy Uh on my podcast a while back who was a, for a while he was a professional Magic the Gathering player. And Uh people made fun of him until he was like, oh yeah, last weekend I made $55,000 at this tournament that I won. Yeah, people stop making <laughs> fun of you real quick when yeah. they realize that you make more money in a weekend than they make in a year playing yeah. cards. And so, yeah. you know, uh, anyway, I, I don't have any qualms any about it now. Um, it, it's, yeah, it'd be fun to reconnect with some of those guys. But uh,
1: I think there might be a different stigma about it now, maybe, than there was, like... It's, uh, I, I've heard read that Dungeons and Dragons is more popular now than it ever has been before. Oh, it is. And it's it is. like 50 year history or whatever. Yeah, it's
0: crazy. I mean, Critical Role, yeah. which is a bunch of voice acting nerds out in Los Angeles playing D&D on Twitch. I mean, it, it gets hundreds of thousands of yeah watches every single Thursday. You know, people right. sitting there watching other people play D&D for four hours. You know, gets yep. more views than sports, you know, games yeah. and, and, and basketball games and stuff like that on like the NBA. And it's like, yep. oh, huh. <laughs> Like we've come a long way from yeah. 1970, whatever. So. Yeah.
1: That's cool. Well, it's great talking to you, Gabe. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, I loved hearing your story and um, what, where can people find you online? What's the best way to kind of follow what you're up to your podcast or yeah,
0: podcast, I guess on the board game design lab uh, on iTunes or any podcast, you know, site or, or whatever um, board game Got a ton of resources. So if somebody's listening to this, like, I think I could design a game, go there. I have organized as many resources as I can find uh, in that one yeah. place. And then also I'm in the process right now, uh, as of recording this next week, launching a community website called BGDL plus, which is BGDL plus.com for the community. So that's okay. hopefully going to become like board game design headquarters on the internet. Uh, and yeah, we'll see. I, I put a lot Place of work for, in, in, for
1: designers to collaborate and yeah. And workshop and that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I hate Facebook. Um, I'm so tired of it. I'm done with it. I think it's ruining us in a lot of ways. And so my thought was, how do You're I not wrong create kind of a social media site? That's not icky. That's not like tracking yeah. you around the internet. That's not using your psychology against you. Uh, and is focused on game design and it just brings in designers and let's have some digital courses and let's have forums and let's have, uh, all sorts of ways to connect and, and find each other and hire artists and all sorts of stuff. And so, um, that's been the goal for the last, let's say, I guess last April, a little over a year ago, I started working on this website and, uh, it's finally coming to fruition. I hope it, you know, hope, hope people really get a lot out of it and really enjoy it. And, uh, hopefully it gets us off of Facebook more. That's definitely yeah. part of my plans.
1: Yeah. That's great, man. Well, cool. Definitely encourage people to go check out, uh, your work and, uh, your podcast and, uh, yeah, it was great Great chatting with you.
0: Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Uh, I've really enjoyed yeah. you know, talking to you all. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It was awesome.